0: Ecclesiastes 9. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and to him who does not sacrifice. As the good as the good one is, so is the sinner and as he who swears is as he who shuns an oath this is an evil this is an evil in all that is under done under the sun that this same event happens to all also the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live and after they go to the dead but he who is joined with all the living has hope for a living dog is better than a dead lion for the living know that they will die but the dead know nothing and they have no more reward For the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already already approved what you do. Let your garments always be white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love, all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is the portion in your life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom and Sheol to which you are going. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Hey, everyone. Like Brian said, my name's Dan, and uh, thank you, thank you. Brian, I really appreciate that um, nice intro, I'm telling everyone what a great guy I am, so now I don't have to do that myself, so, um, but anyway, yeah, my name is Dan, I'm one of the pastors here, and I really do love this community, this church, and I um, feel honored to be able to serve here and serve you guys um, as one of your pastors, so thanks for being here tonight. Um, we have taken a five-week break from Ecclesiastes. Uh, Brian was able to focus for five weeks on the cross exclusively, um, so we got to talk about Jesus, Jesus entering Jerusalem, um, his death on the cross uh, for our sins bearing God's, God's wrath for us, ultimately his resurrection, um, and, and all that accomplished for us. Brian got to really dig in and talk um, about that, what we would call the centerpiece of our faith, and also what we would say is the central event uh, in all of history, the, the cross. And so big, weighty, awesome things. And now we are back in Ecclesiastes and back to our, our vain little lives, so welcome. Welcome. Um, but fortunately, Solomon tonight is giving us, uh, he's, excuse me, um, he's shedding some light uh, on where true significance can be found. So if you remember back through Ecclesiastes, we've been here for a couple months, Solomon starts with this idea of vanity, of that all is vanity. I mean, he goes on to attack our sense of, of autonomy as individuals, um, he goes on to establish God's providence over all things, all things in our lives, including our birth and even in our death. Um... And then tonight, uh, he's going to he's going to press specifically in on um, how we can honor God in our life and how we can enjoy Him, enjoy His gifts. Um, so, if you guys would pray with me, um, we'll do that and we'll get going. Yeah, Lord, we uh, just first acknowledge that we need you tonight. We need you always, and uh, we need you here tonight. And I pray that uh, your Word would go forth tonight from me, from from your Bible. And I pray that anything said tonight that's not honoring, not of you, um, would be forgotten and and not taken in. And anything that's of you and from you um, would be remembered and applied. And most of all, Lord, we pray you'd be honored and glorified through this church, through this body, um, and you'd be honored and glorified tonight. So we love you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to do something now that I I really hate when other people do, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyways. Um, when I, whenever I uh, go to see a movie or read a book, I, I hate to hear anything about it. I, I like to go into a movie fresh, uh, not, not knowing whether it's sad or happy, whether it has a good ending or a bad ending or a twist, or whether it's good. Or um, I don't, I don't want to know anything about it, so if I see a, see a, like a preview for a movie that I, I'm interested in, I'll try to avoid any other preview, any conversation about it until I can actually go see it. Megan, my wife, is the exact opposite. There she is. Um, She, if we're going to see a movie, she wants to know everything about it. She wants to know how it ends, who's the bad guy, um, every little detail before we even go in to see it. Um, So I'm going to do what I hate right now, and I'm going to lay out what I see as Solomon's premise um, in these verses we're going to look at. So basically, Solomon tonight, he's going to tell us um, that life is good, that life is full of good, God-given gifts that we're meant to enjoy. But... Um, We can only enjoy these gifts to the extent that we acknowledge and submit to the sovereignty of God and his control over all things. We um, acknowledge our lack of sovereignty and control in our lives, and that we uh, root ultimately our approval um, and our satisfaction in him. And then we're freed um, to enjoy all these things God gives us. So I'll keep kind of coming back to that theme, so just keep that in the back of your mind as we walk through this text. So first, I'm going to go ahead and read again verses 7 through 10. I'm going to look at this We're going to look at it backwards. We're going to look at the second half where God lays out these gifts that he's given us, and then we're going to look at the beginning where um, he kind of sets the foundation for us uh, how we can enjoy these things. So if you'll uh, look with me at verse 7, we'll read 7 through 10 together here, or I'll read it, you can listen. He says, Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love, all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life, and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there's no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol, to which you are going. So the first thing I want us to recognize here is this is, this is an imperative, this is um, Solomon telling us to do something. God through Solomon telling us to do something. So it reminded me of a, of a, of a verse in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10:31, which I'll read real quick. Don't feel like you have to turn there. Um, it says, "So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all all to the glory of God." And these are similar, but a little bit different. And they're um, they're similar in that Solomon is also telling us, as we'll get to, um, that everything we do, as in our eating and in our drinking, we should do that to the glory of God. Um, But the difference is, Paul is telling us, he's giving us freedom. He's saying you can eat, you can drink, um, but whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Here Solomon's telling us to actually go and do these things. It's not just a freedom, it's not just a, hey, you can do this, but whatever you do, glorify God. He's saying, go eat your bread, drink your wine with a merry heart, Um, let your garments be white, don't let oil be lacking on your head, enjoy your wife, work um, work hard with your hands. Um, Basically what he's telling us here, um, through these... These verses is to enjoy life and to celebrate what we have Um, he's telling us to enjoy the gifts that he's given us Um, something that that uh, came up just from through reading this and studying it is that um that god uh, christianity um uh, the life of following god isn't a life of what not to do it's not just a list of things not to do and i think we often um, even if we wouldn't say that out loud we, we function that way and a lot of us were raised that way that you don't drink you don't smoke you don't do this you don't do that and then god will approve of you as you don't do these things um, Solomon is laying out here, and I think the rest of the Bible lays out that the life of a follower of Christ should be a life of celebration, um, not, not a, a list of things not to do. And all these things are things that, that can get twisted and turned, and we can um, abuse them. Uh, obviously, alcohol um, within sex is related to marriage. Um, food, we, we've, we can abuse and twist these things. But the answer isn't to avoid these things because they can be abused. The answer is to embrace them for what, what God created them to be. Um, enjoy them as God created them, um, and, and enjoy them in a way that honors Him as opposed to in a way that dishonors Him and, uh, and makes them something that they're not, not intended to be. So let's look at verse 7 where He talks about eating bread with joy and drinking wine with a merry heart. So Solomon, He's already established earlier in Ecclesiastes um, that He's experienced every pleasure under the sun, He's sought to experience every pleasure He could find. And he has. Uh, he talks about experiencing probably more pleasure, seeking out more than we've ever or will experience. And he said these were all empty. They were vapor, they were fruitless, they were vanity. And so how now does he tell us to enjoy these things, to to eat with joy and to drink wine with a merry heart when he's told us before he's done these, he's sought out good food and good wine, um, and they've all produced nothing but um, disappointment and vanity. Um, And the answer to that is verses 1 through 6, which we're going to look at here in a second, um, where again he establishes that we can only enjoy these gifts to the extent that we acknowledge and submit to God's authority, um, acknowledge our lack of authority, and root our um, true joy, ultimate joy and approval in him and not in these things. Um, And so until we do this, we'll never be satisfied with things in life. Um, In chapter 2, Solomon tells us that apart from God, um, we can't eat with joy or have any real enjoyment, that our work won't fulfill and that our life will truly be vanity and striving after wind. So let's keep going here. Verse 8. He says, let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. So in honor of this, I wore a white shirt tonight, of course. In honor Solomon's telling us to do. Um, I think the idea here, though, <clears throat> I've read different ideas of what this means and what it symbolizes and what white garments mean and what oil means. Um, And and I'm generally a pretty simple guy, and when I look at something, I I generally choose the the most simple answer to a question. And so to me, in this list of things, what makes the most sense is that he's talking about this idea of celebration. And so white garments um, did represent, uh, in this time, uh, there's something you would wear to a wedding feast or a celebration represented celebration. I think he's just continuing this theme of celebration, of eat, drink, wear nice clothes, get dressed up, celebrate. Um, The idea of oil, uh, again, I think oil was something that was sometimes a bit of a, a luxury item back in this day and it was a time when um, maybe hygiene wasn't as held up as highly as it is now and they didn't get to shower as often so oil was often scented and so you see in, in, in Jesus when Mary um, anointed Jesus's head with this oil this was like a luxury item people ridiculed her for wasting this on Jesus uh, I think on some level he's telling us to do the same thing enjoy what God has given you if you have if you can afford some nice oil or deodorant or perfume um, use it So I think it applies to other things. But in this context, enjoy what God's given you. Um, Celebrate. Celebrate with food, with wine. Um, Wear nice clothes. Um, Sometimes indulge in in the gifts of God, the material gifts of God. So let's keep going. Verse 9. says to enjoy the life, or excuse me, enjoy life with the wife whom you love. We'll talk about the rest of this verse in a second. But first, I just want to focus on that. I mean, very simply, He's telling us to enjoy our husbands and our wives. I think if you're, if you're a woman, you can um, read this as enjoy your husband. I think that we can, we're allowed to do that. Um, enjoy your husbands, enjoy your wives. Um, and it's this is a little different than just saying love, serve, lay down your life for your, for your spouse. Um, we can do all those things and not really enjoy our spouses, I think. And so here he's telling us enjoy what God has given you. If he's given you a husband, if he's given you a wife, enjoy that husband. Or enjoy that wife. Um, it's a they're a blessing from God. So enjoy them relationally um, as a friend. Enjoy them um, sexually as a partner. Um, enjoy everything that God has given you in a husband or a wife. But then he goes on to say, enjoy the enjoy life with the wife whom you love. So I was wondering why he says whom you love. Why doesn't he just say enjoy life with your wife, or the wife whom you should love? And I think the reason is that, <laughs> yeah, um, which we don't maybe often do very well. Um, but I think this speaks directly to the kind of love that we're called to in marriage. Um, that This um, love that God is talking about here, it's not um, what I would say our culture generally holds up as love. Um, love, biblically love in, this, in the context of marriage, is a, is a sacrificial, covenantal type of love. It's the same kind of love that God has for us. Um, and so, so, it says in Romans, nothing can separate us from the love, love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing should, se- should separate the love... Between a husband and a wife. Dry throat. Um, and so, in regards to, to, to my love for my wife, um, my love for my wife in the truest sense is a love that I've set on her. I've set my love on her just like God has set his love on me. And though, even though my love for, for Megan is um, very imperfect um, and nothing... Um, regarding perfection like God's love for me, it's the same kind of love. And that my love for Megan has nothing to do with how I, how I feel about her, um, nothing to do with how she feels about me. Um, we uh, Our emotions can be up and down. It has nothing to do with how faithful or unfaithful she is to me. Uh, my commitment and my love uh, for her is based on uh, the commitment that I made before God and the covenant that I entered into when we got married. Um, and I again, I think that our culture has twisted um, and stripped this word love basically all its true meaning and so this idea of falling in love and falling out of love um, i I don't think it really jives with with how the bible talks about love at least in in the the sense of marriage and so um, there's not much that i um really that makes me angrier than when i I hear someone in in a marriage say well i just fell out of love with this person or if they say well i fell in love with someone else like it's this this thing that's out of their control it's just this thing up here this love just hit them they're shot with the arrow um, and they, they, don't have any control over it, um, which is, uh, makes me want to curse and throw things, but, um, in reality love in the context of marriage is a commitment. It's a choice. And so you can't fall out of a choice. You can only opt, you can choose to, to opt out of a choice and choose to leave, but you can't fall out of, um, this choice. And at the same time, you can't fall in love with someone else when you're committed and you say you love, um, this one person you're married to. So it's a little bit about love. Um. But in any case, he's saying love your wife, enjoy uh, your wife or husband. Um, Let's keep going. Verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. So, first I'll just talk about what Sheol is. This was confusing to me when I first read it. Sheol is simply it simply means the place of the dead, um, the place that we will all go. It, it's not talking about heaven or hell. Solomon um, begins Ecclesiastes in, in the first chapter saying that he's setting out <clears throat> to observe life under the sun. He's not really getting in the realm of heaven and hell at this point. He's just talking about, right here he's talking about death. He's saying uh, basically that we will all die, just the same theme that's been coming up again and again of death, that we will all die and we're, we're not in control of it. So don't get weird about him saying we're going to go to Sheol, which just means death. Um, but as far as work is regarded, um, the first thing that I noticed is that he lists work just among this, among this list of other, of, of God's blessings. It's not all these blessings from God, food and wine, material possessions, uh, marriage, and then then you also have to work in order to pay for this stuff, or in order to um, make money. He's saying um, work is a blessing, and it's right in line with all these other blessings from God. I don't know if a lot of us see work this way. I think it's a challenge too, but I think God calls us to see work as a blessing, not as a curse, not as a necessary evil, not as something that just provides money or a place to do ministry um, or anything like that. I think that God says work in and of itself is good and it's a blessing. Um, I preached several months ago um, on a passage in Ephesians and I just want to revisit a couple points. Actually, that I, I pulled out from Genesis 2. So in Genesis 2, God creates work. And so the first point I want to make from Genesis 2 is that God created work. He created man um, to work before the fall. So before sin and death had entered the world, um, when all things were still good, God created work. He created man, put him to work. And so I've heard people say that work is an implication of the fall. It came from the fall. We weren't really intended to work. Um, Work, just like anything else, has been affected by the fall. But in and of itself, it's good. And God created it and, and called us to do it. So just like God called uh, or created Adam, placed him in the garden to work it and to keep it, he's created all of us, and he's placed us here on earth and in Denver um, to work and keep um, this this garden, this world. The second thing I wanted to draw out from from Genesis 2 is that Adam didn't choose his, his job. He didn't choose his vocation. Like I said, God created him, placed him in the garden, work it and to keep it. And so Adam didn't have the chance to think and pray for months and years about what he was called to or what he was passionate about um, and choose what he wanted to do and um, change jobs a million times. Um, not that changing jobs isn't okay, but in any case, God did not, um, or Adam didn't really have the choice. He, he, he didn't choose his vocation. He was created, placed in the garden, and that's what he did. Um, and so Solomon tells us, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, um, so what, the encouragement, there's, the thing that I think that I want to draw out of this is that um, we shouldn't wait until we find the perfect job or the, the perfect calling uh, until we work with our might. God says whatever your hand finds to do, not when you find the perfect job, when you find your calling, then work with your might. He says whatever your hand finds to do today. So if you're working in fast food, if you're working as a lawyer, if you're working as a CPA or um, wherever, or retail, ministry, doesn't matter what you're in, if you're a college student. Um, whatever your hand finds to do today, do it with your might. Which doesn't mean that you can't do something else later. Um, but whatever you're doing right now, God's calling you to work out it hard. And I would say that God has placed you in Denver. God's placed you in your current job. He's placed you and called you to this church, at least for tonight. Um, he's placed you in your current life situation. And so those things may change. He may call you other places. But for now, He's called you and He's placed you here. And so while you're here, while you're in your current job, your current life situation... Your current church um, do it with all your might serve in the context of the church serve if you're only going to be here for six months and you know you're going to leave still commit press in serve love one another um, bear one another's burdens do what we're called to do as christians um, even though it might be temporary life is temporary everything is temporary so live in the here and now even though it might be temporary um, knowing that um, we don't really know what our future holds and we're still called to work um, with our might whatever we're doing today So that's the list of of blessings that that Solomon has laid out. And as I was looking at this, as as I've been studying it the last couple weeks, this idea of idolatry has come up. Um, And idolatry is something that we talk a good amount. I think that it's it's talked about a lot in Scripture. Uh, The first of the Ten Commandments um, is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. So we see God hates idolatry uh, more than anything else. God's jealous for his name, for his worship. In Matthew 6:24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either, either he will hate one and love the other, or he, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Not, you cannot serve God and money. And so we see throughout the, the New Testament, through the Bible even, um, that money isn't an evil thing. Money is held up as often as a blessing. And so this isn't a passage talking about the evils of money. It's talking about the evils of idolatry, that we can take anything, even God's blessings, and twist them and orient our lives around them. Um, Calvin uh, in the in his Institutes said, "The human mind is, so to speak, a perpetual factory of idols, so this idea of idol worship we, um, we were created to worship we were created to worship God, uh, and we are always worshiping, but most of the time, um, unfortunately, I think we are worshiping things other than God, like Calvin says, our minds are perpetual factories of idols, so we will create anything and everything to worship other than God." Um, And so when I look at this list of food, alcohol, money and and material possessions, marriage and sex, work, if I were to make a list of the things that we tend to abuse and turn into idols in our culture, these would be right at the top of that list. Um, And so we could talk in depth about how each one of these um, is twisted often and and, and turned um, into an idol, into something that's taking something that God has created as good and and twisting it and turning it to something that uh, doesn't honor him and doesn't satisfy us. So the, more, the more that we cling to these things for, for ultimate satisfaction and joy, the more they fail us. So not only um, does idol worship not honor God, it doesn't give us any true joy or satisfaction in life. Um, there's a quote that I read this week um, by a guy named Doug Wilson. And he said, in the world of creatures, we can only enjoy what we don't worship. So basically, in this world, under the sun, as Solomon would put it, outside of God, we can only enjoy what we don't worship. Once we, once we begin to worship something, um, it loses its meaning, it loses its joy, um, and dishonors God, and doesn't bring any true satisfaction, so we can only enjoy what we don't worship. So, now, if we go back to the beginning of this text, we're going to see Solomon establishing uh, God's sovereignty over all things, our lack of sovereignty, and even just kind of diving into the brokenness of our world. So he says, the righteous and the wise, and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, both await them. Man does not know. Both are before him. Excuse me. So right here in in this verse, he's establishing God's in control. The righteous and the wise are in his hands. He is the one in control. Um, He also establishes our lack of of understanding, our lack of sovereignty. Whether love or hate await him is another way, way this is translated. Man does not know. Both are before him. Basically saying... Good and evil are before him. Even the righteous man, even for us, even the, the, the follower of Christ, good and bad days are, are ahead of us. Um, we don't, and we don't know what they are. We don't know when, when they're going to be good, when they're going to be bad. He's doing a couple things here. Um, aside from just establishing his sovereignty and our lack of sovereignty, I think he's pushing against this idea um, that probably a lot of us have at least a little bit in our heads and a lot of us were raised with that um, if we're good, um, if we serve God, if we give him Our lives give him our our service then he will bless us Um, this idea that um, god wants us to have our best life and we need to if we if we pursue him then he'll give us kind of our earthly um, desires Um, which is not just to clear clear that up it's not the message of the gospel that we see in the bible Um, the message is not that if 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 we're good then he blesses Um, the message is that he's good enough He's good enough, um, no matter what our circumstances, and that we've been blessed completely because of Christ. Um, And so God does have good gifts that he wants to give us, like we talked about earlier. Um, But the ultimate good that God wants to give us is himself, and he'll do anything to do that. And that might be uh, taking loved ones away. It might be cancer. It might be losing your job. It might be any of a number of of things that seem bad. Uh, But we know um, that as Christians, as followers of Christ, uh, Paul says in Romans, Um, that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So we can take comfort that as Christians, we know that all things are working together for our good, even if we don't see what that good might be, even if we don't understand it. um, We can know that God is for us. And so if he's giving us things, if he's taking things away, um, we can trust that he is smarter and he knows more than we do, um, that he is for our good. So, He goes on to talk about um, our our broken world. In verse 3 he says, This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Basically the same event is death. He's talking about that death in this world is evil. Um, And he's right that God didn't create this world. Uh, He didn't create a world where death reigned. um, But through uh, man's rebellion, sin and death entered entered the world. Uh, So our world is broken and death is um, an indication, that's a clear indication that our world is broken. Um, death is painful. It's painful to, for the people who die. It's painful for loved ones who lose people to death. Um, it's something that death makes us relearn over and over again lessons of the world that we uh, clearly, we only really learn through life experience. And so our parents, our grandparents can tell us all kinds of stuff until we get out in the world, until we, we experience it ourselves. Um, we won't really know it or believe it or understand it. And so we as people, we live lives gaining wisdom, gaining understanding, and then we die. And then our kids and grandkids have to have to do the same thing over and over again. So death is is an indication this world is broken. Um, verses four through six just kind of reinforce that in here, talking about the lion and the dog, and that even a um, a, a living dog is better than a dead lion. Just th- this idea that, that death is bad. That even if you're a grand, you know, majestic lion, um, if you're dead, you're no better than a, a mangy dog um, that's alive. The second half. Uh, verse 3. It says, also the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and, mad- and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. Um, does anyone really doubt that we as humans are are broken and evil and insane, and that our world is broken? It's, it's, it's not a concept we hear a lot, um, but I think all I have to do is, is look around, is turn on the evening news, which I, I hate watching the evening news because it's it's just sad. It just seems like you just hear about junk, all the junk going on in our city, um, the murder that happened, and the old couple that was swindled out of their um, money or whatever. It's just an evil world that we live in, um, and you can kind of cover it over. And we can here in Denver, we can look at the mountains and, and look at all the the things that the, the good things that we see in life, and kind of ignore the brokenness of this world, the brokenness of our own hearts. Um, and we don't even have to look out to see this. If we look in ourselves, and are our honest, um, I think we see that we're, we're broken and that we're insane. Um, even personally, um, I just think about how many ways God has blessed me. He's um, given me life. Uh, he's saved me from, from, you know, an eternal death and given me life in Him. Uh, he's given me an awesome, incredible wife. He's given me a healthy, actually two healthy children, one still in my wife's belly. Um, but He's given me a, a great community here. He's given me a great job. He's given me a roof over my head, um, food to eat. He's given me everything that I could ever want in life, um, yet my heart still um, wants to turn um, away from God constantly. I mean, I want to worship anything and everything but God. Um, and it's not something we, I think we readily admit, but it's something that's really a reality that we all are constantly turning. And personally, I'm constantly turning from this guy that, that gave me everything um, to worship myself, um, to worship other things, to create idols, like I talked about earlier. Um, and I really think that often that I'm, smarter than, than the God who created the universe. Um, this just proves to me that I am I really am insane. Um, this is, this book is our our only source of, of sanity, um, and as we come to this, even this book, I think it's important f- for us to know and acknowledge that we are insane people. <laughs> and so we, we tend to want to come to this book and stand over it and judge it and say, well, this, this part looks good, this part looks bad. I even, I love to highlight and write in my Bible, but if you look at the things I highlight and, and write in here, I'm, I'm probably highlighting and circling the things that line up with the way I see the world, the things that get me excited. The rest of it, I think, well, I'll just skip over that. It's not, it's not really exciting or very good. Um, when I know um, that all of Scripture is, is breathed out by God, that God has written this book, yet I look at it, and I pick and choose what I think is good and what's bad and what's right and what's wrong, which is insane. Um, so we need to come to this book, come to our faith, come to God, um, as children, as people who know that we don't know anything. Uh, that's the only thing we should know, um, submitting to him. For, for any truth in our lives. Proverbs 14, 12 tells us, it says there's a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. So the way we see the world is backwards. Um, our own understanding of what's right and wrong will, will actually kill us. It's not just wrong, it'll actually kill us. Um, Macbeth, in this, in Shakespeare's Macbeth, uh, when, when the character Macbeth hears of his wife's uh, death, he responds with, with this, with a soliloquy. This is part of it. He said, Life's but a walking shadow. A poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage, and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Basically saying life is, is short, and then it ends. It's, it stinks, and then you die. Um, this is, it's a tale. Life is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, but signifying nothing. And so basically saying God is this idiot up, up you know, up in the sky, um, storyteller, um, but nothing really makes sense, nothing, it doesn't really signify anything, it's all vanity, which is where Solomon seems to start, Ecclesiastes, by talking about vanity, this world is vanity, nothing really makes sense, it's all just vapor, it's like trying to, to, to grab a cloud, or like Brian said, trying to shepherd the wind, but we see here in Ecclesiastes, um, where am I, Sorry. Yeah, we see, uh, in reality, what Solomon's trying to tell us now um, is that life isn't a story told by an idiot, it's a story told to idiots, which is us. Um, That we are evil, insane people. Um, In reality, life's a story told and orchestrated by a sovereign, good, holy God, uh, but it's told to impotent, insane, uh, evil people. Um, And we wonder why it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense because uh, the storyteller is um, an idiot, it makes it doesn't make sense because we are idiots, we, we won't submit um, to the reality of why um, God has created us and what he's doing. Um, but if we humble ourselves um, to believe that God, the one telling the story, the storyteller is bigger than us, smarter than us, uh, more powerful than us, uh, then we're free to enjoy our lot and everything life throws at us, including um, all of these blessings that we talked about earlier. So I'm going to end here with uh, verse 7. Uh, again, we, we talked about it a bit earlier, but Solomon says, Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. For This is the important part. This is the part that we all have to get in this, in this text. It says, For God has already approved what you do. So Solomon's made it all too clear that seeking, uh, seeking approval through anything under the sun, anything in this world, including success, wealth, possessions, pleasure, relationships, respect, work, sacrifice, righteousness, goodness, wisdom, knowledge, um, anything under the sun, it's all vanity. Um, like I said, it's like trying to, to to grab a hold of your breath on a cold day or grab a cloud like it had any substance. Um, but we know now, we know that we, we no longer have to earn anything before God, that he's already approved of what we do because of Christ, because of what Christ accomplished on the cross. And we have sig- true significance and approval um, from him, from God, from the God, the God that created all this, created everything, um, yet uh, rescued us even in our insanity, even in our um, rebellion, um, the God of everything, the God of the creator of everything, um, save and rescued us, um, so our hope that we have in christ um, it 's given us both hope for eternal life, like Brian talked about last week, talked about new creation. Um, which I really enjoyed, and it kind of just even stirred, stirred me up last night, or last week listening to Brian talk about new creation, that we're waiting anxiously for, for God to come back and, and restore all things, including us, including these broken, uh, messed up bodies that he'll come and cover us with new bodies, which was kind of exciting. Um, and so we, we've got hope that Christ is coming again um, to restore all things. We also, um, because of Christ, have a way to enjoy this life, here on earth, that we don't have to just simply wait um, in agony, waiting for for Christ to come back, we um, can enjoy life here because of the hope we have in him, that we can find joy um, in good things, in good gifts from God um, because we're rooting our approval um, in him and not in these things Um, so 1 Corinthians, again I've referenced Corinthians a few times I've been studying it so I've kind of got my head in it Um, Paul said, I didn't come proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Um, And I was just struck by that passage a couple weeks ago. Um, And so I've said a lot of stuff tonight um, about a lot of different things. um, But in reality, I don't have a a lot of wisdom to give. And I definitely don't have um, any lofty speech uh, to give it. Um, But the one thing I do know, just like Paul says... um, I've decided to know nothing among, among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Um, so for tonight, my, my prayer, uh, for all of us, including myself, um, is that we would root our approval completely in Christ. Uh, and that we would root our approval in nothing from this world. So in Christ, nothing in this world. Um, that as we do that, we'd be free to enjoy all the gifts that God has given us uh, and celebrate this life that God has given us, including food, and wine and material possessions um, and marriage and even work, that as we uh, cling to Christ, as we root our approval um, and find our joy and righteousness in him, um, that we could find uh, actually some joy in this world and these gifts that he's given us. So that's Ecclesiastes 9. Um, We're going to end tonight just like we end every Sunday um, at this table. Actually, we call it a table. It is a table right there. Um, but with communion. Um, remembering um, that everything we have, um, we have because of Christ's broken body, because of his shed blood. And so um, we have the we have bread and wine up here. So if you are a Christian, if you are a believer in Christ, if you root your approval in him and not the things of this world, we invite you to come um, and share this meal with us. Break off a piece of the bread, um, dip it in the wine, and remember uh, what Christ has accomplished for us. So uh, yeah, let me pray for us, and then we'll... We'll eat together. Lord Jesus, we, uh, yeah, first thank you for Christ. Thank you for his broken body and his shed blood, Lord, and thanks for all that that has accomplished for us, Lord. I pray that we would root our approval in that, in him, um, and that we would live lives of celebration, and um, that you would, um, yeah, make make it clear what your gifts are and that we would be able to enjoy them well. And so, Lord, let us enjoy you. First, let us enjoy your gifts and let us honor you with our lives. And, um, yeah, I pray um, you would bless this community, um, bless the people in this room. And, um, yeah, we say we love you and pray in Jesus' name, amen.